We've reached kind of the pivot point of the minor league baseball season as we welcome you into this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. It's episode number 63. I'm Tyler Maughan in Denver, Colorado. Sam Dykstra is in New York City. Draft is in the books. Short season starting this week where it hasn't started already like it has in the Dominican. Uh, Sam, welcome. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Tyler? I'm good. I'm good. So, uh, first reaction. You were at the draft before we get into three strikes this week. Uh, first time getting a chance to check out the Major League Baseball first year player draft at MLB Network in uh, in Chicago's New Jersey. Give me your uh, give me your recap, which yeah, you can so read obviously on the site. But give us the podcast version. Right. Yeah. No, it was interesting to be there in person. Um, it's being there in person is very much like just being on a live uh, TV set. There's so much going on. There's so many cameras moving around. There was even a studio audience, uh, that kind of thing. So it was interesting to see that behind the camera. Uh, you know, see a lot of the game's biggest players sit there uh, representing clubs. You know, Andy Pettit was there. Uh, I know Morgan Nensberg was there. Louis Tiant was there representing the Red Sox. Uh, Yvonne Rodriguez. So a lot of them there kind of gathered. It was a little bit of a reunion for those folks. Uh, only two draft picks showed up this year. Which, you know, from my point of view as a journalist, as a person set, set to go there to write about the event, uh, a little disappointing, but understandable. A lot of these guys want to celebrate at their homes. Uh, it, it's not like some of the other drafts where you come up, you get your jersey, you do, do that whole thing. That happened, obviously. Ian Anderson was there. Uh, he got picked third to the Braves. Will Benson was there. He got picked 14th to the Indians. Um, they both had get, got to have a nice moment where, where they put on their first major league uniforms and uh, got to pose with Rob Manfred and put their own names up on the board. But it's a little different in that a lot of these guys are still playing college ball. They don't want to be away from their teams, especially those still trying to make their way to the College World Series. Uh, so it was a little disappointing in that way. But Ian Anderson, Will, Anders Will Benson, both great interviews. Uh, you'll be able to hear the Will Benson interview here today. Uh, we have it as a podcast special. And uh, yeah, so it was, it was fun to be there in, in the room where it happens to make a uh, Hamilton reference. Two things. One, going to be talking about the draft here uh, in just a short bit. Two, we also have a guest coming up from the draft in just a short bit. But before we tell you about that, by the way, you can head on over to iTunes to give us a rating and a review and a subscription for the show before the show. We're the Minor League Baseball Podcast there. Let us know what you think and, uh, you know, give us five stars. That's the only thing that iTunes accepts from what I've heard for, uh, for this show. So go on over there and do it. But we will in just a little bit be hearing from Will Benson, who, as Sam noted just a moment ago, went with the 14th overall pick to the Cleveland Indians. He's the outfielder out of Westminster schools, the Westminster schools uh, in Georgia. Will Benson, by the way, he's listed at 6'6", How did you feel like a small child next to him? <laughs> well, the th thing about Will Benson is that, yes, he looks – like a very big human being and then you look at his birth date and it is june 16th 1998 <laughs> um, yeah uh, like the, the man he's not even a man nope. he is nope. a child he's a kid who is 17 years old and it is very large um very polite great guy to talk to uh really good interview across. yeah i hope yeah. that comes across in the interview uh very very forthcoming to me um, was nice to pull him aside. I was wearing my Milb shirt, so he probably knew a little bit of who I was, where I was coming from. Uh, but he said, very, oh, man, that's Sam Dykstra. I listen to that well, guy I don't know week. about that, but he, he knew who I represented at the very least. <laughs> Especially so, on a day where Ian Anderson – so this interview that you guys are going to hear 
uh, was done at the luncheon. It was before the draft, so Will did not know where he was going to be taken. Uh, I asked him, in fact, what's the dream scenario? He said later that he will sign, so a little bit of a spoiler alert there. Um, but when he was projected to go around the 30s, uh, you know, he had a commitment to Duke. We talked about that a little bit. Um, but that's just to give that some context. Uh, we don't talk about the Indians in particular because he had not yet been drafted. Right. But anyway, he he is a very large human who I think projects very well uh, in an outfield situation, has a lot to work to do with his bat. But uh, we'll get to some of that talk here in a second. So a pre-draft conversation with the one and only Will Benson here coming up in just a little bit. With that, let's get into three strikes for this week's uh, edition of the show. And strike one, Sam, obviously with this in the books now, it was crazy how the first round shook out. We sort of started to have an idea in the hours before the draft what the top four picks or so were going to look like. And then beyond that, it was kind of all hell broke loose. Uh, Jason Groom, who was the top overall talent going into the draft, fell to the Boston Red Sox at number 12. A.J. Puck, the left-hander out of Florida, who was going into draft week, looked like he was going to be the 1-1 pick for a while. Uh, he ends up falling to the A's at number 6. So a lot of surprises in the first round. But right now, as you assess this first round, who do you think is the guy to watch for on the quickest track to the major leagues? Uh, well, at in this first round, guys who are taken there, I mean, you, you look at when we're talking about who's going to make it first, it's usually guys with just very loud tools that can play right away, normally college guys. Uh, so the name I'll throw out there just to answer your question directly is Zach Birdie. He was taken 26th overall by the White Sox, a right-handed pitcher out of the University of Louisville. Louisville had a great night, by the way. A lot of guys taken from that school, not necessarily uh, you know, a big baseball powerhouse, but certainly had a good night. Uh, led by Corey Ray and then Zach Birdie also as well. But the thing with Birdie is that he is a guy who has, uh, you know, relief experience in the past. He, he struck out 46 batters in 28 and two-thirds innings this year, 11 saves, a guy who can hit triple digits with the fastball and certainly has a very good slider, uh, has those two pitches you need to be a very good reliever. And when you're talking about relievers, you know, clubs will – fast track those guys just to get them up as, as quick as they can. We saw that a couple of years ago with the Royals, particularly uh, with Brandon Finnegan. You know, if you have the stuff that can play, they will push you up. And we know the White Sox are trying to compete this year. You know, they want their best arms in their, in their bullpen. I think Birdie kind of fits that a little bit. The reason he was taken 26th is just because he's major league ready now doesn't mean he's going to have the highest ceiling. His ceiling is as a reliever, um, probably as a setup man. Uh, but if he can hit that ceiling very quickly, and it, it looks like he could, uh, he could be that guy who moves very quickly. Uh, I, I move back. You made the point about A.J. Puck. Uh, you know, we, we've seen in the past college-ready arms move quickly as well. Carlos Rodon was one of those guys. Aaron Nola, another one. Puck kind of fits that mold. Mold, excuse me. Uh, he, you know, he's got the pitches. He certainly has the stuff. Uh, he's the first pitcher taken in the first round by Oakland since Sonny Gray in 2011. We know that worked out pretty well. Not saying that the A's, you know, the history is necessarily going to repeat itself with Puck. They're different pitchers. Uh, but he does have the size to be a, a good uh, major league starter someday. That The A's were certainly thrilled when he fell to them at six. The question with him is, can he overcome some command issues? Uh, he didn't pitch much beyond five innings this year with, with Florida in any of his starts. Uh, at least statistically wasn't Florida's best pitcher, but he is their most projectable. So we'll, we'll see what kind of track he gets on. 
Um, but when you're talking about guys who are going to make it to the majors very quickly, you have to look at college guys, uh, specifically arms. And those are two guys I think could could potentially be in the majors uh, by next season, if not earlier in the case of Birdie. Yeah, I think that's the uh, the the easiest track in, in a world where there are no easy tracks. But if you are a dominant college arm, especially if you have the ability to contribute in the bullpen, and Sam noted a couple of guys who have done that in recent years. Um, Chris Sale also is one of those guys in that organization. Chris Sale drafted by the White Sox uh, with the 13th overall pick in 2010. He was in the big leagues for 21 games by the end of that season. Brandon Finnegan uh, with the Royals went to TCU, taken 17th overall in 2014, and obviously pitched uh, the major league level, was in the College World Series and the Major League World Series that year. So if you are a college arm, you can make an impact in relatively short order. The thing that that I see in Zach Birdie is right now he has the ability to maybe be a contributor for a team that will be fighting for a postseason spot. Whereas I think AJ Puck is a little bit further off just because of where the A's are right now. They're 27 and 36 and seven games back in the West. The White Sox with that really hot start obviously have fallen off to a good degree, but if they feel like that's an arm that can contribute to a postseason run down the road, whether it's in August or September or whenever, then maybe that's a move that you look to make. So um, this is no longer, you know, just the the 10, 15 years ago world of draft and development where you took a guy in the first round, and you didn't hear from him for three years. Now there is an ability for some of these young guys coming out of college to make impacts relatively quickly in uh, at the major league level which is a pretty impressive uh, pretty impressive thing in any regard but to be able to do it just a few months after you were in college is extraordinarily impressive um strike two sam lucas giolito we have not talked about a lot so far this season which is really surprising actually i was having a conversation with uh, kelsey hennigan the other day one of our staff writers who's been on the show before the show uh a handful of times and we were talking about how we had not really written much about lucas giolito this season because his start though good for double a hair Harrisburg had not really been dominant as of yet last four outings. You could really start to throw that out the window. He's allowed a total of three earned runs over his last four outings. He's gone at least six innings in all of them and seven innings in two. And in his last time out, Seven innings pitched against Akron on June 10th. Four hits, two unearned runs. He struck out 12. That was a season high and walked just one. Uh, welcome back, Lucas Giolito. Yeah, definitely. I got to write him up yesterday, uh, yesterday being Monday. Uh, as the Eastern League Pitcher of the Week, uh, just sh- shot him a text just to see what his thoughts were on winning that award and uh, what it was like for him pitching last week. He had a great start for Harrisburg. Uh, he struck out a career-high 12 batters, only gave up two unearned runs on four hits in seven innings last Friday. Um, so I want to talk to him a little bit about what has gone into the improvements that you kind of mentioned. And he was very forthcoming in that, just saying that he had worked on some of his uh, – some of his mechanics, it seemed like it got a little out of sync, a little out of whack in the early going. He certainly you know, had some control issues to start the year. Uh, there were a couple starts, just looking back on him now. On, on May 14th, he walked five. On May 4th, he walked four. April 22nd, he walked four. Uh, through May 4th, he hadn't even reached the fifth inning yet. Uh, part of that is Nationals holding him back, but also just because he was working up so many pitches as he was trying to find the strike zone. Uh, that's a little worrisome for a guy who we're now calling the top overall prospect in the game. So I asked him, you know, what changes did you make? And he talked about working with his pitching coach, uh, Chris Mikulik, and uh, pitching coordinator Paul Menhart. And I'll just read the quote for you directly. Uh, I'd extend my leg kick a little too much. It wasn't compact enough. And it forced me to leak my front side a little and lean back too much. 
just created a lot of inconsistency with my mechanics. When you have an inconsistency there, everything else falls apart. You stop trusting your stuff. You don't know how the ball is going to go. Now with that ironed out, I'm going out there every fifth day with my trust in myself back and trying to be myself again. So this is a guy who knows he can be dominant out there. He might have the best fastball curveball combo in the minor leagues right now. Can certainly hit upper 90s with that fastball. I think it's an 80 grade fastball. You read most scouting reports on him. Uh, that curveball is a 70 grade curveball. It's got one of those hammer moves that just makes guys buckle, especially at the double A level. Uh, so to see him strike out 12 last week, uh, I think it's time for Nationals fans to get excited about him again. Uh, I remember at the beginning of spring training, there was talk of when will Giolito be up? Will he be a super two guy? I think that's kind of out of the, the picture now. Um, but could he be a guy who moves up to Syracuse you know, by next month? I think that's a possibility now with these improvements. Uh, could he be a guy that helps the Nationals in September? I think that's also still on the table. Um, so it, it's time, like I said, and I think you mentioned too, Tyler, it's time to get excited about Lucas Giolito again. And, uh, you know, in case you ever want to know somebody who is better at everything in the world than you are, just look at Lucas Giolito. The dude throws gas, unbelievable breaking stuff. Um, he bakes. He's a very good baker. If you ever follow him on Twitter. Very good it baker. seems like he's a 50-grade baker, if I'm going to start throwing around. Oh, wow, okay. So he's yeah. above Major League Average in the baking department. Yeah, well, he's, he's working hard at it. Uh, <laughs> I would, one of these days, I'll, I'll work on a scouting report of Lucas Giolito's uh, baking skills. Just but the baking department. It's, it sounds like I he's like putting that. in the work, uh, but his ceiling is probably as a, as a league, a kitchen average. Uh, cooker one of these days postseason we'll have to do you know like i'll come out there we'll we'll set up like a little faux fan cave kind of thing and just invite lucas giolito to cook for us at the the milb headquarters there in uh in chelsea market in new york city i seen i think that sounds like a great plan and a great way to just get free baked goods <laughs> which i am always for i mean That's if you awesome. want to travel to new york for free baked goods i'm yeah. certainly not going to stop you give that a shot all right, good. Let's file this away. We're, we're game planning future episodes in the middle of this show. Uh, <laughs> strike three this week. Short season baseball begins this week. We're just three days away now. We're recording this on Tuesday the 14th. So by the time you hear this, opening day coming up tomorrow, June 17th, for three short season and rookie level leagues. The New York Penn League, the Northwest League, and the Pioneer League. Later on, coming up early next week, the Arizona Rookie League begins on June 20th, and on June 23rd and 24th, the Appalachian League and the Gulf Coast League become the last two into the pool for short season ball. Uh, the Dominican Summer League has already started. Uh, I did a story prior to the start of the season this year. There is no Venezuelan Summer League anymore. That league has been suspended for the 2016 season due to all the turmoil in Venezuela. So the only league that is currently in progress as far as the short season circuits go uh, is the, the Dominican Summer League which is going on right now. But the rest of them get started this week and on into next week. And basically kind of a primer for people who don't understand the uh, the delineations of what happens below the full season level of minor league baseball. So what you have right now, currently in progress, AAA teams, everybody's got one of those. Every major league affiliate has one AAA affiliate, also one AA affiliate, one Class A advanced affiliate, and one full season A affiliate, which you'll sometimes hear referred to as low A. That's full season Class A. Beyond that, there are two additional levels, short season class A and rookie. And those are all the leagues that we're talking about right now. Those leagues are teams comprised of mostly draft picks or maybe draft picks from 2015 
guys who have dealt with injuries, guys who maybe just need a little bit more seasoning before they transition to full season ball. But that's kind of the basics of, of what short season is, which starts on Friday. Yeah, and there's also two, not to get people even more confused, but there's also two other leagues, uh, specifically the Gulf Coast League and the Arizona League, which is where you'll definitely see a lot of draft picks from this yeah. year, particularly a lot of guys who are uh, high school players who they just want to get at bats. You know, they, these guys are playing at spring training facilities where there's not much attention, there's not much attendance. It's just playing against guys with similar skill sets, similar backgrounds. Um, a lot of players from Latin America who are making their stateside debut. They go to the Gulf Coast or Arizona leagues uh, where there's not as much pressure. Games still count. Uh, they're like a normal Meyer League game. Uh, you won't find as much coverage from us because it's not as big a big a league, but there is some exciting stuff there to, or to see there. Uh, that's where you're probably going to see guys like Mickey Moniak, you know, the number one overall pick with the Phillies. He'll probably be in the GCL, stuff like that. So, you know, if you if there's a high school player you specifically want to see that your team drafted, uh, you're probably going to have to look to the GCL or the AZL. If there's a college player, then you're looking at you know the rookie level leagues that, that are the Appalachian and Pioneer or the Class A short season, which is New York Penn or Northwest. Um, so there, there's tons to follow there. Um, it's also other opportunities for guys to rehab. It just means so many more games, so many more opportunities. And for a lot of these guys, it's it can also be their last chance. I mean, if you're talking about 2015, 2014 draft picks, uh, guys who weren't taking top 10 rounds, this is their chance to, to put, put up or you know maybe end their career. And that, that can be exciting for guys, you know, who are 38th round picks or something like that, who, who start to do well. That's how they get onto track on the track of uh, putting together a, a pro career. So, uh, you know, the, a lot of rosters aren't out there right now. Uh, again, we're recording on Tuesday. A lot of leagues start Friday. I think the Appalachian League starts a week from Thursday. Um, so definitely check out what your favorite organization's roster um, in those lower-level leagues. Um, try to find, you know, some of the guys who have not made it into a full season ball yet. And uh, a lot of those games are available on MILB.TV. So check that out as well. Absolutely. AZL and GCL kind of entry level. Think of it that way. Everything from there is a bit of a step up the Appy league, the pioneer league, and then the Northwest league, the New York Penn league. You start climbing those ladders to get toward full season ball and uh, head into the real meat of your, uh, your minor league career. By the way, um, some of the notable picks that have already agreed to deals with their teams. We'll run through a few of those before we head into our final uh, little moment of conversation before we head to our interview with this week's guest, Will Benson, Nick Senzel, who's the second overall pick by the Cincinnati Reds out of the university of Tennessee. See the third baseman agreed to a contract on Monday the 13th. There's a report today that Riley Pint, the Colorado Rockies first round pick out of St. Thomas Aquinas High School in Kansas, the right-hander reportedly has agreed to a deal with the Rockies as well. Cal Quantrill not to be confused with Gus Cantrell from Major League back to the minors. Uh, Cal, the right-hander out of Stanford, has agreed to a contract with the San Diego Padres. He was the eighth overall pick. Kyle Lewis, the 11th overall selection out of Mercer, has reportedly agreed to a deal. Actually, he's already signed uh, with the Seattle Mariners. He was the 11th overall selection. Carter Keeboon with the Washington Nationals. Cole Reagans with the Texas Rangers. Those are the other two full first-rounders. 
who have either agreed to terms or signed the shortstop and left-hander again for the Nationals and Rangers respectively. So that brings us to a close to uh, to strike three. But before we get into our interview this week with Will Benson, the newest member, one of the newest members of the Cleveland Indians organization, uh, a foul ball for this week's edition of the show before the show. There were a lot of things that kind of shook out, not the way everybody expected them to in uh, in the draft this week. And Sam was in attendance. What stood out to you as the biggest surprises uh, from this week's uh crazy festivities in in new jersey yeah well i think the big one which i think you mentioned uh, a little earlier was groom falling to 12 with the red sox uh, i think anywhere you read groom was probably the top overall prospects in this draft if not top three uh you know he's got a really really good curveball um throws really well from the left side with a plus fastball uh he's gotten plus grades for his control as well as a high school arm from New Jersey, not as much uh, taxing on that arm as as you might expect from some other places. Uh, seems like he was well set to to be taken pretty high. Falls to twelve with the Red Sox. You know, you read some of the reports. It sounded like he had a commitment to Vanderbilt, um, but was willing to go to junior college instead uh, as kind of a, a ploy to get top three money, no matter where he was picked. So we'll see what the Red Sox kind of do to to. To sign him, they're going to have to play with their bonus pool a little bit, probably go above slot for that 12th pick to get him. But he, there, I know he gave an interview saying the Red Sox were his favorite team growing up, even though he is from New Jersey. So maybe he's willing to give them a, a slight discount on that. I don't know. We'll have to see how that plays out before the signing deadline in the middle of July. Uh, but the other one that was a big one that I just wanted to touch on quickly, uh, with Delvin Perez, the shortstop from Puerto Rico. Uh, everybody was talking about him making some comparisons, a lot of it just being because they're from the same island uh, with Carlos Correa. Sounds like he's a guy who can re- really stick to shortstop defensively, um, has some some plus ability offensively with some good bat speed. Uh, but the the controversial bit about him is that he reportedly failed a drug test for PEDs before the draft. Uh, I know at the draft itself, Harold Reynolds, MLB Network analyst, uh, threw a little bit of a fit because he didn't like the message it was sending to the game that a guy who had taken you know performance enhancing drugs could be a first round pick that he could be rewarded with first round pick money and the you know status of going everywhere and saying he was a first rounder. Uh, he certainly has the skill set. How much of that has to do with the PEDs? We don't know. We're we're about to see. Uh, but he goes to the Cardinals at number twenty three. Still hasn't signed yet. I don't think. Um, so we'll see how those negotiations go. Uh, he's likely to sign, you know, in the day and age we live now, it's it's if you're taken in the first round, it's almost a surprise if you don't. Um, but what the Cardinals do with him, get him back on track. And, you know, there's just so many question marks after that failed drug test. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, the situation with Delvin Perez. So Major League Baseball's. 2016 first-year player draft is in the books, and we are going to hear from one of the guys who heard his name called in the first round of that draft. Will Benson was selected after this interview by the Cleveland Indians with a 14th overall pick, so it gives you a little bit of the insight insight into the mind of a guy waiting to know what his professional future is going to look like. The 14th overall selection out of the Westminster Schools in Georgia. Will Benson joined Sam in New Jersey, and that's coming up here on episode number 63 of the show before the show next.
Watch the stars of tomorrow today on MILB-TV. Before they made it to the show, stars like Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, and Chris Bryant were on MILB-TV. Subscribe today to get more than 5,000 minor league games streamed live and on demand, including games from affiliates of all 30 major league clubs. Select all-star and postseason games are also included. On the go? Watch on your iPhone, iPad, or iPod Touch with the free MILB First Pitch app. Visit MILB.TV for details. How are you feeling today? What are you thinking about tonight? Where's your um, mind at right now? I'm, I'm pretty excited. I know it's a lot going on. Um, you know, you know, B has us doing uh, the ferry and all that stuff. Right. So I'm just trying to take it one moment at a time. But everybody's mind is really on uh, 7 p.m. Yeah. Um, so I'm just trying to stay level-headed, stay excited as much as I can. Just Fun with it. Yeah, is this your first time in New York? Have you ever been here well, before? It was my second time in New York, um, but I definitely haven't seen as much as I've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's good to just travel around and, and experience something very different and very something very unique. Yeah, especially getting a tour by Major League Baseball. It's yeah, a little yeah, different yeah, way than people get to see the city. Exactly. Yeah, so just for people who have never seen you play before, obviously it's a different atmosphere in Georgia high school ball. That's um, not something everybody gets to see. How would you kind of describe yourself as a player? First, I'm a leader. I love to... Um, you know, persuade my guys that you know every day is not a guarantee, and we got to go out and play um, you know our best game and our best ball. Um, secondly, I think for me personally, um, defensively, uh, I think I'm one of the stronger you know players out there. Um, I have a really good arm. Um, you know, I love to track down and run down balls. Um, and then you know, offensively, I, I'm a project. I'm still a work in, in progress, um, but I'm definitely getting somewhere for sure. Um, and uh, I'm working every day to be one of the best hitters to ever play the game. And I think, you know, once I get that piece down, I'll be one of the, the better players, you know, the game has ever seen. Mm-hmm. And wh- where do you think you can go offensively when you're saying you're a project? What are you well, hoping to grow into? You know, like a profile of Miguel Cabrera, um, <laughs> somebody very smooth, um, very effective, uh, very intimidating. That's something that I would love to be like, and maybe even better. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure everybody would be. I'm a, yeah, I'm gonna put the work. In, of course. We'll the no, work of course, in. of course. Yeah. So, how do you kind of improve that? What 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 kind of work are you putting yeah. into your approach? Um, so basically, every uh, every rep I take, I try to make sure I'm breathing. That's first off. I think a lot of times, uh, a lot of guys that are big like myself, sometimes I do too much. And uh, the key is just to relax and, and stay smooth. So every rep I take, I try to breathe. And then, you know, secondly, always just stand through and, and straight to the ball. That's that's something I, I've been trying to work on for the longest because that's what everybody needs to work on. And the more you do that, the, the better the contact you make and the, the higher the average, the, the farther the ball goes, which is what everybody wants to see. Right, so that's what I'm working on. Mm-hmm. And how would you kind of describe this draft process, you know, going through it as a high school senior, yeah. you know, trying to have a normal life as a high school senior but yeah. still getting all this attention? What has yeah. that kind of been well, like? First off, I think it's a blessing, um, and I take it, like I said, a day at a time. Um, so um, that, that kind of allows me to take in, you know, like you said, all the attention that, that I'm getting along with all the other, you know, draftees. And it's a blessing that the area scouts, um, they're, they're very kind to me. Um, they've been such a blessing through this whole process. Um, so they, they've made it even easier than I think usual. Um, but I think the best way to, to ha- I've handled it is, like I said, I take it a day at a time 
and just focus on where I am in the moment and, and the time. And what notes have scouts given you? Uh, in terms of like... Just when they're talking to you about your game, is there, yeah, yeah. Is there tell, are they telling you something to improve on? Or are they telling you what they like? What, yeah, what are their I, conversations like? For, for the most part, they say, you know, I like your charisma. Uh, I like the way you play the game. You look like you're having fun out there, which is something that's very true. I think if you're going to play the game, why not have fun, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, defensively, they, they all notice that I'm one of the, the better players. And the same thing I've said, that they think I'm a pretty good project in progress on the offensive end. Um, but they definitely have told me that I've made some really good strides um, and that they see I'm more aggressive um, and they see that I'm trying to work on smoothness and, and be the, the best hitter in, in the game to ever, you know, yeah. step in the box. So. Right. And you guys went out with the championship too. Yeah, what what was that like, that, that final season? It was good. I'm glad I went out with the bang. Um, the, the football team beat Blessed Trinity and State. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so, you know, it was our turn to do the same thing. <laughs> and so I'm glad we capitalized because a lot of people didn't think we could do it um, so that just added to the to the moment right so um, you know I think overall that the season went super well and for us to end it in that manner was you know second to none mm -hmm. and I found a couple of your basketball highlights online too on oh, YouTube really? yeah, yeah there's one that had like a, over a thousand views at least oh, wow. what part of your game kind of translates between those two sports um, so from what I take from basketball is just athleticism and uh, you know quickness i think that's why i'm able to move so well in the outfield mm -hmm. just because all of the, the movement i do in basketball and i think also durability and endurance um, is created through playing basketball um, on the other end what i take from baseball is mental strength um, so if i don't make those free throws or i don't make the that jump shot i try to say well, what did i do wrong mm -hmm. move on and get ready for the next shot and I think, you know, in both sports, I have the leadership aspect. I think in basketball, it's a lot more apparent um, just by, you know, your play style. I mean, failure is not as apparent in, in basketball, um, so you can lead a lot easier uh, through play, but I like to do it in, in voice as well. Um, so the, the leadership qualities that I show in basketball help me to, to do the same leadership things I can do in baseball. So, yeah. yeah. Did you give it any thought about going to college for basketball? Or yeah, yeah. So I, I talked with John Shire, the assistant coach, and he and they loved the idea of me being a two-sport athlete there. Um, so I'm looking forward to, if I do get that chance you know, to go there, I will definitely explore that. Yeah. How much have you been in contact with Duke about this whole process? And going Very much this? so. I mean, it's a blessing. They, they totally understand where I am um, and, and what, what it's going to take for me to um, – you know, skip out on Duke. They're very understanding. Um, they know the situation that I'm in right now is, you know, a pretty daggone good situation. Right. Yeah. Um, so they're they're understanding. I actually talked with them yesterday, and we kind of laid out the plan of, hey, if you if you get this and, and you sign here, um, I'm totally understanding. We're going to split up your scholarship for the other for the other players. And um, so I think that's a good thing. I'm able to help people, help my team out, team my Duke teammates out. Um, <laughs> If I do sign and go somewhere, and they're very open. He said, "Look, man, if you sign, you can come back in the off season and, and train with the guys. You can take classes if you want." Oh, all right. Yeah, so, so it, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a good so situation. There you go. I'm saying it's a really good situation wherever I go, right? Um, which is a blessing. Yeah. What is the dream scenario here? The dream scenario would be that you know I, I do sign, okay. um, but 
I mean, who knows? It, it either way is really a dream scenario, honestly. Um, you know, we, I'm here right now, so I, I would like to. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, be, that's what I figured. Be pretty, pretty awkward <laughs> if, if I get on stage and, and nothing happens. Um, but you know, I, I uh, have a lot of faith that the, the best situation will will come to play in, in a couple hours here. For the first time this season, we're going to sit down and chat with Benjamin Hill about something that pertains to a promotion at a short-season baseball game. Hey, Ben. Hey, Tyler. Hey, Sam. Hello. That's crazy we're there already. Um, short season starting this week, and uh, up first in this week's edition of Promo Watch, the Staten Island Yankees, just a ferry ride away from you guys. Uh, we're, we're in that, you know, still in that baseball culture war for some reason where, uh, where some people don't want to embrace the fact that you know, you can quantify things about the thing you love uh, with additional information, and that doesn't make you a nerd or a bad fan. But for some reason, we're still in that debate. Uh, but the Staten Island Yankees have kind of taken a side. Sabermetrics Day is coming to Staten Island this weekend. Really cool. And it's not just like, oh, well, we're going to, you know, discuss what Sabermetrics means. There's like luminaries of the industry who are going to be attendance, in attendance at this game. Yeah, it's a pretty cool promotion, and uh, kudos to the Yankees for doing it, for the Staten Island Yankees for doing it. Um, I think it could work in other markets, but it could not work in other markets quite like it's going to here in New York City because there is such a base of people to draw from. Um, you know, Tyler, you talked about, uh, you know, you mentioned the longstanding, uh, you know, nerds versus old school sabermetrics for scouting arguments, and I think that argument is really not part of what the Staten Island Yankees are doing on Sunday. They're kind of sidestepping that and saying, hey, we're having Sabermetrics Day, and it's a day at the ballpark for people who are into that kind of analysis to come together and you know be geeks about it. But the real cool thing about it, if you're into that sort of thing, which I really am not. I'm not taking sides. I'm all for information. But uh, personally, my eyes gl gloss over once you go beyond the back of a Topps baseball card. That's where all my stats uh, stay. But the Yankees have done something really cool. They they reached out you know to Fangraphs first, and Fangraphs, um, you know, the entire website was basically on board. Decided to make it a staff outing. So there's ten writers from Fangraphs who are going to be there. You've got uh, other people from ESPN, uh, Five Thirty Eight, um, Sports Illustrated. And there's going to be a pregame panel, a VIP Sabermetrics panel, um, hosted by seven of the writers in attendance and some bitty, pretty big names in the in that world, like Dave Cameron from Fangraphs and uh, Ben Lindbergh, who uh, I guess he's with 538 now. He used to be with Baseball Prospectus and just co-authored that book on the Indie League Sonoma Stompers. But anyway, Jonah Carey is going to be there. So pretty big names in the baseball writing world. They're going to have a pregame VIP panel. Um, and that's already sold out. And then after that, a stat geek picnic um, during the game where, you know, all these uh, different writers, sabermetrics inclined writers are going to hang out and talk to anyone who pays for an all you can eat $30 ticket. And um, it seems like they're having a lot of success with it in the presale and um, getting some good publicity and just a pretty cool way to think outside the box and, uh, you know, find a niche like Mike Holly, um, the Staten Island Yankees uh, staffer. He has one of those convoluted uh, titles, director of marketing and fan experience. But uh, I was talking to him because he had the idea for this, and you know, he was just saying, um, you know, you're just always looking for a new niche in minor league baseball, and this is one. And uh, hopefully, this is successful, and hopefully, other teams can do it as well. So, is this more about drawing people to the ballpark who are big sabermetrics fans, or is this more about educating people who are going to be there already? It's a little of both. I mean, the the uh, 
the bulk of it is about drawing people who are already into this world and reading these writers and giving them a chance to mingle at a baseball game among like-minded people. Um, but I talked to Mike a little bit about that, and he said there's they're actually uh, you know taking fan, one of Fangraph's most uh, popular features, the win probability chart. He said they'll have a win probability chart. They'll try to explain that concept to the fans and attendants who aren't part of the sabermetric stuff and update every half inning how the win probability chart has changed based on what has just happened in the game. And uh, they're also going to um, uh, out of the park, the uh, computer simulated um, armchair GM computer game. They're going to be running a simulation of the game that's actually happening and comparing the results of the simulation to uh, the real life results and seeing how kind of effective the computer can be. Ben, let's continue the conversation. There was a, a ton of stuff last week that we previewed and now get to talk about sort of in uh, in retrospect. The Lehigh Valley Iron Picks go to be the cheesesteaks, the, the wit cheesesteaks, wit onions. And uh, that, just from the time they took the field, it was like Twitter was already completely abuzz with pictures and, and everybody kind of went nuts for the whole steaks thing. Looking back on it now, how uh, thrilled is the team with how that was received and how it took off on the field? Uh, I think they're thrilled all the way around. In a lot of ways, when you get that much buzz nationally with a promotion and do so much merch sales for a one-time identity, the game itself, it's not an afterthought if you're working for the team. Of course, you want to you know, surround it with elements related to that identity, in this case, the Lehigh Valley cheesesteaks. But, I mean, I think it was a foregone conclusion this was going to be a success from the moment they announced it because there was a ton of interest right off the bat. And, uh, yeah, so last week we talked about how all these big promos are coming up and now they've happened. It's funny how time works. The and, Frisco uh, Rough Riders, by the way, opened the Lazy River, too. So in case any of you were wondering, you know, you heard about something a long time ago, like the cheesesteaks thing. Uh, that was another thing that happened this week as well. So uh, the Rough Riders, you know, you can go float on an inner tube at a baseball game now. Yeah, and it made its debut on Saturday. During, it made its Rough Riders debut on Saturday, but there was actually a charity softball game on Friday, June 10th, in which it made its official debut. And um, uh, Dirk Nowitzki was the first person to ride an inner tube. <laughs> so you can, I retweeted that at one point. If you uh, Google Dirk Nowitzki Lazy River, I'm sure you'll find a uh, image or video of him uh, taking an inaugural, uh, he's christening, he's christening a Lazy River. So uh, that's been hugely successful for Frisco, and now that's open every day. I would have to think that's got to be the top three searches amongst Dirk Nowitzki Lazy River, right? There can't be that many... Dirk Nowitzki, Lazy River. <laughs> well, no, the funny thing is he was in a band called Lazy River from like 2001 through 2004, and it was mostly kind of like Blues Traveler covers, but that comes up too. Moving on to one other thing that just kind of caught my eye. Um, I know a lot of teams are kind of promoting this, at least teams that were involved in this. Uh, Minor League Baseball announced the top merchandising teams, um, and obviously all of Minor League Baseball this week, the top 25 teams. Um, what kind of stood out to you amongst the list that was – of the or the group of teams that were named on there. Well, you know, yesterday uh, Chris Caputo, a writer for um, SportsLogos.net, gave me a call about this, trying to get my take on it, and that kind of helped me formulate my thoughts on it. And um, I think if you look at this list of twenty-five teams, you know, Albuquerque, Biloxi, Charlotte, we won't go through all of them: Lakewood, Pawtucket, Tacoma, Sacramento, Louisville, Frisco, Indianapolis, Dayton. It's all over the map. Uh, it's all over the map, both geographically. Um, it's heavy on AAA, um, but if you do look at it, it's really hard to discern, like, okay, this is the theme. This is the formula for success. So I think in a lot of ways it depends on the market. 
Um, revenue is up overall to a record uh, 65.1 million in overall minor league merch sales this year, and that's up over uh, five million more than last year. And I would pinpoint the biggest reason for that is the increasing shift to unique identities, where you don't have to be a fan of a team; you just like the logo itself. And with the internet and the increasingly irreverent identities, I think you know more and more teams keep doing that, and the revenue keeps going up industry wide. So I think that's certainly a trend, indisputably. But when you look at the list, you do see a lot of AAA teams, and I think you know a lot of these are in quasi-major league markets. Um, so it makes sense that they're going to be among the top sellers because they have a much bigger market to draw from. And then you have a few anomalies, not necessarily in the market size, but within this trend of going to a unique identity. The two teams last offseason that bucked that trend and went back to a parent club identity, the South Bend, uh, who turned South Bend Silverhawks changed to the Cubs, Oklahoma City Redhawks changed to the Dodgers. And both of those teams, just carrying the name of the parent club, ended up in the top 25. So that's uh, certainly bucking the trend. It certainly makes sense to me in South Bend, given that they changed their name specifically to capitalize on how many Cubs fans are in South Bend. And this was the first year of that relationship. Oklahoma City surprised me a little bit. One, it's a big market, so you can see how a lot of people are buying gear in that big market. But um, certainly I would think there's less Dodgers fans in Oklahoma City than there are Cubs fans in South Bend. You know what I find really interesting, too? You talk about those two. Um, Oklahoma City stands out. Tacoma also stands out. We talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but the Rainiers have gone back to an embrace of that old-school classic script R look. Um, but similarly, that's what Oklahoma City's one of Oklahoma City's hats looks like, which they unveiled prior to the 2015 season. And the thing I find really interesting about this is the Los Angeles Dodgers their spring training hat in 2016 is basically the exact same hat. So it's kind of like the tail wagging the dog in this circumstance. Oklahoma City rebrands, goes to the parent club name, puts a different spin on a parent club look, and puts that out as their identity. And then the Dodgers see how well that does, and they go, all right, maybe we'll capitalize on that too. Well, I think that's a good, a good analogy or a good uh, term to use, uh, not just for logos, but for a lot of um, things in minor league baseball. Um, you know, Major League Baseball is a lot more conservative overall, but if they do notice a certain thing doing really well in minor league baseball, they might then try to adopt it for their market as well. And um, you've seen that with Bark in the Park Nights and Star Wars Nights and certainly with certain uh, elements of um, the team identities as well. He is Benjamin Hill. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. Some of the things coming up this week. Um, this is, you know, something that we talk about way too often. But uh, on June 14th, the San Jose Giants will be wearing SB Strong jerseys in honor of the victims of the San Bernardino mass shooting. Um, the Charleston River Dogs on Sunday, June 12th, held a day of unity, uh, which they did last season as well. That community obviously still very much uh, dealing with the aftermath of the shooting at the uh, Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church last season. Um, so some things, you know, minor league teams obviously do what they can to bring communities together. And unfortunately, it's something that we have to talk about way too often. Um, you know, obviously not just in a, a minor league baseball sense. Uh, elsewhere around the minors this week, the El Paso Chihuahua is kind of a cool thing. Our honoring former Chihuahua Cody Decker, who has been through a whole lot of stops since he was in El Paso. But, uh, you know, one of the favorites of the minor league baseball social media world, Cody Decker gets his own bobblehead, which will be given away in El Paso. Um, the Bowie Bay Sox will be hosting Jennifer appreciation night so if you are a person named jennifer or a variation thereof uh you know get get on out to uh to the bay Sox game and they'll they'll show you the appreciation of what you get for uh for being a jennifer and then coming up on the 20th 
finally, the Lake Elsinore Storm will be hosting the California Carolina League All-Star Game Home Run Derby from the deck of the USS Midway, which is going to be awesome. Yeah, and as I always like to note, this is no knock on the Lake Elsinore Storm, but it's been done before by the Charleston River Dogs, uh, I think, four years ago. And I only note that because when that was announced on Twitter, it's not the Storm's fault, but everyone's like, minor league baseball, what will they do next? Yeah. And I'm like, well, it's been done before. <laughs> like, do a little research, bloggers. Not me. I'm a great blogger, but other bloggers. He is the uh, the star oh. of all bloggers, Benjamin yeah, Hill. the shining star, the epitome, the the uh, standard by which all others uh, should and should be must, must be judged. By the way, if Ben did not have his own logo, the, the photo of you from Charleston in which you're in like a corn cob costume is like the perfect Twitter avatar photo. If you didn't have your own logo, which lends itself to be the perfect avatar photo, that picture is like the greatest. Yeah, I love it. Um, as soon as I tweeted it out, um, got some good response on it. And, um, you know, hey, ladies, I'm on various online dating sites in the New York area. And maybe you see that picture there. There you go. Benjamin Hill. Find that picture and more at Ben's Biz. The blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. Ben, we'll do it again next week. We will. Thanks again to Will Benson, the first-round selection of the Cleveland Indians, for joining the show a couple of segments ago, and for Benjamin Hill as well, who, again, you can find on Twitter. He's at Ben's Biz, and you can keep up on uh, on all the best stuff in minor league baseball by following Ben. Milb TV, another week, uh, a big week, as short-season ball starts. Not all short-season teams have Milb TV, but the ones that do actually have some really, really good feeds. And, again, if you're interested, if you're excited about your team's 2016 draft selections, you can see a lot of those guys on Milb TV. Sam, what do you got? Yeah, so I think the first short-season team that we have or short-season game that we have on Milb TV this season is uh, this Friday, 8.30 Eastern. The Grand Junction Rockies are hosting the Orem Owls. Uh, Owls with the Z. For anybody who had forgotten, but that's like, yeah. So, a couple of Rockies youngsters taking on, you know, some youngsters from the Angels system. Uh, Those rosters aren't exactly set yet. Uh, We were just talking a little bit before this. It'll be interesting to see if Riley Pint gets assigned to Grand Junction. Um, If he is, any start he makes will be automatic. You know, must watch milb.tv. I can't imagine they'll run him out that quickly this Friday, uh, but something to keep in your back pocket for later. And I know you've been to the Grand Junction Stadium. It, it seems like it's in a beautiful atmosphere. Um, so it might be nice just to watch for the for the scenery as well. It's really cool. The The feed is fantastic also, by the way. Grand Junction uses um, the, the television production department of a local university. The kids get to use it as, as college internship credit. And the Rockies put together one of the best MILB TV feeds, not just among short season teams, but really one of the best in all minor league baseball. So, yeah, check that out. Um, that was the plan the Rockies followed last year with Mike Nick. Nicarak, who was their supplemental first rounder out of uh, out of Pennsylvania, he went to Grand Junction. So Riley Pint, I would imagine, if you want to see an 18 year old shove triple digits, uh, flip on a, a Grand Junction Rockies game because that'll be a whole ton of fun for everybody. Um, I am going to go to the Pacific Coast League. We're coming up this Friday. If everything stays the same, uh, Jose De Leon will make another start for the AAA Oklahoma City Dodgers. Uh, De Leon, who is one of the top prospects in that system, struggled his last time out for the first time uh, for Oklahoma City. He had been through his first eight innings in the Pacific Coast League and not allowed a run while striking out 15, only walking one and allowing two hits. Last time, touched up a little bit against Nashville on June 12th. Three innings, two hits, three runs, all of them earned. He did give up a home run in that start. But Jose De Leon 
kind of the next one in that system to really keep an eye on if if you like what the Dodgers have been able to produce in pitching talent. So that is supposed to be Friday, depending on how the rotation shakes out for the Oklahoma City Dodgers. Uh, always some fun there. Highest and lowest levels of the minors there in our MILB TV coverage. Just another example of how we highlight it all. Exactly. Exactly. Podcast. And another reason why you should get your subscription to MILB.TV right now so that's going to do it for the 63rd episode of the show before the show podcast you can get in touch with us podcast at milb.com sam's on twitter he is at sam dykes or milb i am at tyler mon you can talk to us there let us know uh, your questions you want to know something about your team's draft selection or your team's short season teams or whatever you got fire a question our way and uh, and we will do our best to get an answer on next week episode of the show and uh that'll do it that'll do it good stuff sam jealous i'm jealous that you got to go to the draft seems like a ton of fun yeah, it's uh, maybe next year we'll we'll do a, a live podcast from the draft. Or that something would be like fantastic. I Apparently, think... we're making a lot of promises for things we might do. In yeah, the and we're, ma- we're leaving goods. evidence. So and I don't know if that's the best idea. <laughs> for now, <laughs> at least it's all recorded. Yeah, here in June 2016, I can safely say maybe we'll do a live podcast. <laughs> hey, well, that a year from now we'll capitalize on that. A week from now, you guys will get to hear us again. We'll talk to you then. Enjoy the start of short season ball. We'll talk to you next week.